What up, what up? It's another week of Keep the Kayfabe. I'm Mike coming to you from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, sitting here with my buddies. Let's introduce the boys here. Always keeping it regal up in Glendale, Mr. Steve Grobschmidt. How are you, Steve? Russia, number one. Iran, number one. USA, ah, <laughs> Wow. That's a deep cut and very well executed, I must say, Steve. Well done. <laughs> Little, little and, shout out to the Iron Sheik, our, our, our active listener. Hey, Iron. <laughs> <laughs> and staying down uh, in Bayview, always freshly squeezed, Mr. Matt Michelson. How are you, Matt? Oh, you didn't know? <laughs> I actually was going to bring a guitar on the air, but the logistics weren't quite right for it. So that's all we get tonight. Plus one of us would be inclined yeah. to smash it over someone's head. So yeah. Oh, that's a good point. But that gives me an idea for who to impersonate next week. That's nice. a good idea. Yeah. The, the humidity in your, in your recording room would have like, it would have gotten the guitar too out of tune. Totally. That actually, I was just listening to, uh, if you guys listen to Bruce Pritchard's podcast, he was, he had a whole episode on the honky tonk man recently. And nice. he's talking about how, you know, by the time Jeff Jarrett came along, they got the super cheap uh, guitars that you know were rigged so that they wouldn't hurt anybody. But that, I guess that wasn't the case when he put the guitar over Jake the Snake Roberts' head and he like seriously fucked them up, like because it was not it was they they bought too nice of a guitar right, and he didn't right. hollow it out. And he like he like messed them up. Yeah, those. Uh, I mean, if it's a solid guitar, that's like. That's yeah. really gonna. That's like a, that's an that's assault, brother. Yeah, I love guitars, and that just kind of makes me cry a little inside. But it's good to know that they do buy cheap gimmicky ones most of yeah. the time. <laughs> Elias, how many guitars <laughs> do you think that guy's gone through? Oh, yeah, more yeah. Jeff, it's like more than Jeff Jarrett. Thinking of. Uh, I don't know because Jeff Jarrett was doing that like twice a week for a long time. So <laughs> slap nuts, slap nuts. That's right. Should, I should take one of my guitars and just put "Don't piss me off" on the back. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I'm a I'm an unapologetic Jeff Jarrett fan. I'll just say it right now. Really? Yeah. Like J double R Jeff Jarrett. Oh, I liked him when he debuted in WWE. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I liked him in WCW. Did you buy his single uh, "Come Coming Home to My Baby Tonight" or whatever his single was? I did not, oh. but. All right. We'll we'll probably have to close the show with that song. So it's a good song. Just, oh, you know what it is, right? Yeah, I totally do. I can't <laughs> wait to be alone with my baby tonight. Baby tonight. I have no idea, so I'm going to hear it for the first time shortly. Awesome. I guess I better Something hang out and to. check out the end of the podcast. Definitely. That'll keep them coming back. <laughs> Speaking of keeping people coming back, uh, Monday Night Raw is doing quite the opposite. A lot of the... <laughs> Uh, reviews about Monday Night Raw lately have said it is one of the worst Monday Night Raws ever, which is pretty hard to do considering it's the longest running show um, 
in TV history, as they like to mention yeah. all the time. So I guess consider yourself lucky to us being alive and uh, having a wrestling podcast to talk about the worst well, Raw ever. Did, did you guys go to the Raw at the uh, Pfizer yes. Forum? That was yeah. all, also considered one of the worst ever. Yep. Lucky yeah, us. proud to be there. Yeah, yeah I remember very well. No. Um, it, yeah, and I even remember when the show ended just being like, wait, it's over? Did it even start yet? And we were there in person. Oh, I, we left. We They did a dark match, and we're like, yeah, we've seen enough. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway. We, thought, um, yeah, let's do. Yeah. So with this, uh, yeah, so I, I'll admittedly say I really don't watch Raw at all anymore. I get all my information from other podcasts. Um, so everything we talk about on this podcast is mostly secondhand information you can get from five other places. Hey. But- that but, makes us smarter than everyone else because we didn't waste the three hours. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And we keep it kayfabe on Keep the Kayfabe. But uh, I knew it was a really bad episode uh, when I heard Brian Alvarez's rant this week. Um, and, and admittedly, I, I love listening to Brian Alvarez because he says what's always on my mind at like the volume turned up all the way to 10. But this had to be one of the best rants he went on. Just talking about Monday Night Raw, nothing really seemed to tie together. Um, Mike, I know you had mentioned something earlier before we started recording about retribution and just how that whole storyline is just baffling to me. Right. And I just don't really understand um, how they think this is uh, going to make the show better, especially when you're naming your um, wrestlers T-Bar, Mace, and... Uh, is it slapstick or uh, it's like uh, douche nugget or something? I th- I forget. It's something like that. Yeah, I, I, I think, think it's like Jack's. I think it was Jack's slap slapjack slapjack yeah slapjack like yeah. the uh, like the yeah. weapon. Yeah, and I will not forget that because I think I was listening to the What Culture podcast and they made some reference to like, can you wait until slapjack is in a match and he has to take a flapjack and then Michael Cole has to say what just happened. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Well, I'm just saying, like everybody's sitting around the table and they're putting names on a whiteboard, and the one that made it out is Slapjack. That has Vince for McMahon a all over it. Slapjack. That's great. That's Slapjack. those are like those weapons, those those thugs use, right? Huh. And Mace is a weapon too. I mean, it's not. It's like pepper spray, but you know, and also or a, a, medi- a medieval, or also a medieval weapon. Exactly. <laughs> Not very popular anymore. <laughs> no, neither is right. Um, well, yeah. And they all have COVID now. Is that really responsible to take I NXT did. wrestlers? Yeah, that's crazy. And then infiltrating them into your um, main roster. Well, if it is indeed you know, on purpose. I hope this is a work. Be like, this is the best way to take down the system because uh, retribution apparently is something that's like very anti corporate take down the system this is kind of a great angle if it is like if they do all have covid and say this is how we're going to take down the system yeah you know, i think you're, it I think really you're giving them way too much credit <laughs> i hope i mean if they were smart use this it is, right i mean this is how you I take just, it down yeah i just love you know one week you're throwing molotov cocktails and you're like beating the you know you're like destroying it and then you're like oh yeah they gave us contracts but we're using those contact contracts to continue to destroy WWE. Like what the hell sense does any of that make? And, and why wouldn't WWE give them a contract for trying to take down the whole business, right? Like, you know what we're going to do to you? We're going to hire you. 
Yeah. Not to mention they already hired him because they're NXT stars. But and not to mention they're putting him on primetime cable television. You know, like this slot is like a dream for a lot of people that want to have their own show or their own movie or write. Like it's a big moment. Primetime television, and then you got slapstick and uh, or slapjack and mace. I like and, uh, and, uh, butter, honestly. I think it's slap nuts. What would your retribution name be? I want something with like two X's in it, like oh, you know, like like to make some like a word plural. Like Mine would snacks. be syphilix with two X's. What is it? Syphilix. <laughs> oh, okay. That could be. That's. Not, maybe not deadly, but definitely irritating. Yeah. Do you got anything off the top of your head, Matt? Biological warfare. I like it, Steve. Um, no, I really don't. But I was thinking, how awesome would it be to create like a retribution name generator and put that? Yes. On the <laughs> and you know what? After the show, we need to do a search. There's there's probably a good forty percent chance it's already been done. I, I, totally. I don't yeah. doubt it. I think I'm gonna be Nightstick. <laughs> with uh with an x can you put a can you put an x on the end of that well if it's night plural sticks. night sticks yeah night sticks yeah. like my arms are yeah that's what i'm gonna yeah. call my arms and my finisher is just and pounding little... the shit out of people and plus it's very cultural relevant right now with you know yeah people getting the shit beat out of um with night sticks. and it's it's retro because you're you know you're referring to the the man from cobb county georgia the big boss man who carried mm-hmm. a big stick a ball and chain too I guess I could Precisely. be Nunchuck. Yeah, that's a good one. Definitely. I think it should be all weapons of some sort. Yeah. That's kind of a good way to go about it. Psy. Yeah. Like I'm thinking yeah. of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle weapons. Yeah. Like Katana. That's a fucking good name. Slapstick. Like, come on. Come on, WWE with these names. Are you kidding me? And then you got like a fake Bane guy with a Bane mask yeah. on. Come on. Yeah, I think that. Well, that's Slapjack, isn't it? Is that Slapjack? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I. Fuck. I, I don't even know. Again, I haven't watched Monday Night Raw in a while, so I have a hard time keeping these people straight. I was I was listening to um, Busted Open this week, last week, and they just trashed it, and it was, and they um, and, you know, I will. Okay, I'm I, I'm gonna steal this one from Bully Ray, but actually, he has more. This is him being slightly more optimistic than I am, but he's like, well, the, you know, they have one they have one card left or one bullet left in the chamber that could possibly salvage this. And that's if there's a big reveal of who their benefactor or who they're, you know, who's behind it all. That's the only thing they got left to possibly salvage this. And, you know, names out there include triple H. Oh my God. uh, Matt Michelson's another name out there. It, I, so have I told you guys my conspiracy theory about retribution? Please do. I don't think so. Okay, so everything you guys just talked about and that we talked about, I, yeah, it's total trash. But let's go back to that Monday Night Raw that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast where it was in Milwaukee. It was one of the worst Monday Night Raws of all time. Just happened to be here. A couple of us happened to be in attendance, right? Triple H gave a speech that night talking about how WWE was sorry that it had basically put out trash for a while and they were going to start listening to the WWE universe. And one of the big things that the WWE universe at the time was talking about was having an authority figure just wasn't great. Like people just didn't enjoy it. And 
really what it was was Triple H and Stephanie kind of brought down the show because they would make it about themselves. It was just mm-hmm. constantly, you felt like you could never get a win as a fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and shortly after that, we saw the authority kind of disappear. And since then, there really hasn't been any kind of authority figure on Monday Night Raw. So on Raw, yeah. Exactly. So it's kind of gotten to the point, though, where I feel like that's almost what you need now to get things back on the straight and narrow, maybe to bring back some consistency to the show. And I almost wonder if retribution is like a two year long work in progress that they're finally bringing back around to say, we have this higher power authority figure, almost like the higher power gimmick that Vince did in the late nineties with the undertaker and the corporation and that whole storyline that lasted like six months. I almost feel like this could turn into something like that where so they could, they Vince could be McMahon like, is basically could, masterminding this entire way to make fans want him or want some sort of an authority figure back on TV, just so they can go back to doing what they were doing. Cause that's all they know how to do. Or it'd be cool. If retribution, if any of the wrestlers got out of line, retribution could come in and like snatch them up, take them away and put them in unmarked vans and drive them away. Kind of like what's going on. Yeah. And ripped from the gone. headlines. Kind of like how Akira Tozawa is gone forever now. Cause he got eaten by a shark. Precisely. Oh, well, you don't come back from that really easily. No. Nope. Right. And I thought uh, Jeff Hardy wouldn't come back from that swanton bomb uh, that he did in the ladder match on Clash of the Champions. For such a horrible Raw that we saw leading up to Clash of Champions, the opening um, bout between Sami Zayn, AJ Styles, and Jeff Hardy was an absolute classic. Um, I Honestly, when I saw Jeff Hardy on this match, I was kind of fearful. I was like, okay, Jeff, you've been doing this a long time. You've had your struggles. You've had your bouts with addiction. You've, uh, you've done this a lot. You've hurt yourself a lot for entertainment. I really don't want to see you go off another 25 foot ladder and do a swanton. Um, but am I here for it? Absolutely. Uh, so how it worked was, uh, Sammy Zayn, AJ Styles and Jeff Hardy let off the show of class of the champions boys. Did you get to see this match? Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. This, this was, Oh, wow. Um, so, so admittedly last night, um, I didn't watch the pay-per-view. Um, I did catch the main event before going to bed and I'm really glad I did. And we'll get to that. But, uh, this morning I had heard some things, seen some stuff on Twitter talking about the ladder match for the intercontinental title. So I real quickly put it on. Um, this was a pretty long match, actually. I think it went almost 30 minutes, but mm-hmm. yeah, to Mike's point, I- I've seen, quite a few ladder matches. I love watching the old TLC matches with the Dudley boys, the Hardy boys, Edge and Christian. Um, There's just a million great spots in those matches. This match in, in my mind was up there. Uh, it was, I wouldn't say it was as good as those. I mean, it, it's hard to top those because they were the originals. It was just so shocking at that time. And Sami Zayn's in it. So, exactly. I mean. Yes. And you have Sami Zayn, of course, but I will say, for not having a ton of backstory to this. I think they did a really good job building a backstory to it. Just kind of like saying these guys have all had their experiences as intercontinental champion. They all have a claim to the championship. They've all been in these insane matches throughout the years. And now we're going to see the three of them come together to duke it out tonight for the belt. Um, Some of the spots in this match, I mean, there were so many good spots. The, The one that 
is going to stick with me for a long time was Jeff Hardy getting handcuffed by his earlobe. That's brilliant. And we saw Randy Orton do this at Hell in a Cell. I think it was either last year or the year before to Jeff Hardy with a screwdriver. Screwdriver, yeah. Which was really hard to watch. But this was a really fresh, cool take on it. They haven't done it too much. So it was still shocking. Um, Yeah, this match, I I don't even know where to begin. There were so many great spots. The structure of the match was really unique for WWE. There was a lot of really good moments where you thought it was coming to an end, but then there was a twist and it was a believable twist. It just felt really authentic. I loved it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, and I think it's very difficult nowadays to come up with unique takes on ladder matches, on handcuffs, on all these things, and yet... They figured out a way to take this tried and true formula and like just turn it on its head and come up with something really good. And yeah, it's like that whole thing with the, yeah, it was like cringe inducing with the, um, with the uh, earring and yeah, it's, I love how they came up with that. And I mean, yeah, these, it's just, you put three masters in the ring. I mean, in different, you know, kind of different eras. I mean, Jeff Hardy's the elder statesman now, AJ, well, actually, so is AJ Styles. They're probably not that far off in age, but, uh, and then Sami Zayn, I mean, yeah, I just, I mean, that's like the MVP. It's like, even though the last match, which we'll talk about was very notable, like they like stole the show right off the get go. And really one of the, one of the upper, one of the better, ladder matches i've ever seen yeah i will definitely go back and rewatch this match i watched it twice uh because i was working in the garage the first time i saw it and there was so many spots in there i had to rewatch it again this morning and i think um having three people in a ladder match is the perfect balance because you can play you can do two things like when one guy's attacking another guy, the other guy can kind of be instrumental when there's four five, six, seven guys, sometimes in a ladder match. I just yeah, don't really like it that much because you know, you get punched in the face and then it's like, Oh, you go to the outside barricade and then you like check your forehead for 10 minutes until it's your turn to wrestle again. Like these dudes uh, played off each other really, really well. Um, and it was very, very creative how Sami Zayn was kind of always in the mix between AJ and Jeff fighting, but staying out of it, it was just really good. It was This is kind of like the beauty of not having real people there. This is kind of like a more, this was choreographed. They had it really down and the cameras were in the right places to make it really entertaining and they told a really great story. And to go back to that Swanton, Jeff couldn't have hit that any better. Like my heart was seriously going into, uh, is that pep palpitations? Is that how you yes. say it? Palpitations. Yeah. Because I mean, I love you, Jeff. Like I mentioned earlier, I really don't want to see you get hurt anymore, man. I ne- I mean, I never did. I knew you would, but I don't want to see him get hurt. And when he was up there, I was like, please God, no, please be okay. I don't want to see another dark side of the ring episode. And he hit it just perfectly. However, that fucking ladder bent like a straw. I mean, that thing just, like, disintegrated. It was not an easy fall. Usually they have, like, a little little, uh, graceful uh, bend to them. This one just was, like, a saltine cracker just snapping. Yeah, speaking of uh, 
ladder bumps throughout this match. I feel bad for Sami Zayn's back after this match. Yeah. I mean, he took at least, I think, like two or three backdrops onto a ladder. And one of them, it's like he bounced up off the ladder, flew almost all the way off of it, then hit it again on the way off. And you could just tell as he rolled away, he was just kind of putting a hand on his back. And it, he was selling, but he was really, I'm sure, feeling it too. So there just so many vicious, vicious takes um, Michael Cole actually was like talking next to Sami Zayn, be like, Sami Zayn's back is just a red blob. It's just so red. And then, like, he's right next to him. And like, he had to have heard him. And that probably would have gotten into my head if I was wrestling, be like, how bad does my back look? I mean, I got 20 more minutes to go here. Totally. And another Sam- thing, speaking of Michael Cole, sorry, Steve, I was just going to mention with, uh, with the commentary in this match, and this is just my take on it. I thought the commentary did a great job just selling every little piece of this match. Um, it felt like Corey Graves and Michael Cole were really into the match, which I think mm-hmm. kind of helped with the excitement. Michael Cole would get wound up at just the right moments. He didn't oversell anything because when he'd do his classic, oh my God, it actually was something that was truly worthy. So yeah, like that just... I think that the commentary helped this match quite a bit. Yeah, and I just, yeah, I got to give MVP uh, to Sami Zayn is just embracing the smarmy, weaselly heel. Like, you know, he's been that way for a while now, but man, I mean, it just all clicked. Everything, everything in that match clicked, but he just is such a, like, yeah, I think really the perfect choice to come out of that match with the title plus his whole story of where he never really lost it to begin with so it was just yeah everything about that was well done kudos to we don't give a lot of credit to the wwe on our show but kudos to them on that one totally definitely nailed it and i'm kind of liking the long hair from uh sammy yeah, as well yeah kind of looks like he's been on the couch during covid a little while to go with his natural body type but it's not as long of hair as Drew McIntyre, though. Uh, Drew McIntyre did um, keep his WWE title against Randy Orton in an ambulance match. At first, I did not. I was in, you know, I never really get excited to see Drew McIntyre do wrestle, to be quite honest with you. I'm sorry. Uh, and obviously, Randy Orton, we kind of all have our feelings about him. Plus, we just saw this match at SummerSlam, it feels like. Wasn't it SummerSlam, right? Correct but they just threw this ambulance stipulation in, which I can get down with. I mean, gimmicks, I'm all about. I know some people have their issues with them, but it's wrestling. Come on. put more, The more gimmicky, the better. Like, make it more crazy, more creative. I'm very into it. So when they threw the ambulance in there, it did have my attention. Um, but there, But again, I wasn't watching. I was working in the garage, and all of a sudden I heard Cole be like, and it's the big show. And the big show comes in. I'm like, oh, dang, that's crazy. Good for them. Doing a little something fun. Great. Bring them back. Get a little airtime. Give a little check to the show. Uh, and then they make their way over to the ambulance. They took some pretty big bumps. I think they kind of got a little fire lit under their ass after seeing that backlot brawl uh, from Santana Ortiz and the best friends. They kind of brought it a little bit on that ambulance. They kind of uh, did a little rough shot on it. They spent a little money for the replacement parts, or they got a good deal <laughs> on a Lunker ambulance. They did use it to its potential, which I was happy to see. Lots of times they just put it in there, and they just, you know, do the classic 
throw them into on the, the side and they they block the hand like on the side and it's like oh my god you know but they were climbing all over this thing i mean it was still pretty lame it was very it was a very lame match but you know me i fucking love it and you know what i really did love Shawn michaels appearing out of nowhere super kicking i think randy orton i can't be quite yep. sure uh, yeah, well, yeah, uh, he got his receipt from the, you know, when Randy Orton punked him. There we go. Now it's all making sense. So oh, to see HBK nice. back on there. Every one of those nice. guys, it made sense. Yeah, because he, Randy Orton, effed them all three of them up. And to and and as uh, Drew McIntyre goes on to win this match, Ric Flair drives the ambulance away carrying randy orton the aka legend killer but he saw three legends big show hbk and rick flair so there was a little deeper meaning woven into a gimmicky match yeah that's why i did kind of want to bring this one up a little bit maybe i'm reading into it a little too much maybe i've been spending a little much time in the basement sipping bourbon and beer and whatever uh and i'm thinking about these matches a little too much but Again, I thought this was going to be a bad match, and it left me feeling satisfied. Where to, Randy? Woo! <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought, I mean, you know what? Yeah, I'm, I, I can't echo enough everything you said to prep that. I'm sick. Actually, actually, uh, I, I like Drew McIntyre. I think it's entirely mm-hmm. unfortunate that his big moment happened during COVID because he got the worst, he got the worst yeah. WrestleMania send-off ever when yeah. it could have been huge and then well, but he's you know he can't control that and randy well, Orton, the guy I, just, I don't think the guy's gonna drop the belt when there's no fans in the stadium i hope like, not i, think I hope gonna, they get they write it out really so that so he can too. have some moment um and randy arden i mean i don't know i'm i mean you know there's so many pundits and so many fans that go on about how great he is and i will never be one of them i can't stand him but yeah, I think this was this this exceeded expectations for me because I just, I had zero interest in the match, and then, mm-hmm. if nothing else, the um, so the the uh, legends showing up kind of was a fun little take. And yeah, every one of them Randy had messed with, so uh, they got their come up. He got his comeuppance. Yeah, I'm uh, Steve. I'm glad you mentioned the legends and kind of their reasoning for going after Randy Orton because I know there was a lot of heartburn online. Like, if you guys follow Reddit at all, like especially the Squared Circle subreddit, um, a lot of people were really kind of confused by all the legend appearances. Um, and I mean, yeah, you come up I with a lot why. of reasons for it. Like, oh, Randy was the legend killer, so now they're coming back for him. I mean, the, the, you could have had any number of reasons. But Steve, I'm I'm really glad you brought up the fact that. Randy Orton has wronged them in some way recently because it's totally true. Um, yeah. So it gives them a good reason to pop up in the match. It does, it, well, again, this is squirt circle talking. A lot of people, I feel like, think that it makes Drew McIntyre look kind of like a heel just because he's getting the help of other people, and which is usually a heelish thing to do. But at the same time, I, you know, I didn't really see it that way. I, I think Drew I don't think most do. some questionable stuff, but honestly, I think he's a great baby face in a way where you just kind of look past it. So I don't and, know. And I when you well done. Yeah. You know, if it was like, um, I can't think of an example cause I don't watch raw enough, but it was some, some contemporary act like, uh, like heavy machinery. I know they're on SmackDown. Like if somebody like that helped him, it'd be like, come on. But when you had three legends who, who Randy Orton effed up, 
I don't think that puts any taint on uh, Drew McIntyre. Yeah, I agree. He'll be fine. And maybe if they're setting up for a hell in a cell or some blow, not blow off, because I guess Randy's or Drew's won them both. But if they have one more match, I imagine it'll be a big, because I think hell in the cell's coming up. But uh, then he'll probably win clean and put this one to bed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how many times do you see uh, the WWE Championship be involved with a gimmicky match like this? You don't see it a lot. You saw it a lot more in the, the 90s and stuff. <laughs> with like some kind of uh, wild card match. And then plus to throw, you know, uh, past superstars in, it was a change of pace. I mean, it would definitely get a reaction out of me if I was watching it on a TV screen and my face was projected on it. I would have been like, like if if my face was in the, in the Thunderdome and that would have been my face. But you're like, we should all go in there. I mean, how do you get in the Thunderdome? I don't know, but apparently anybody can. Yeah. I think they've tightened that up. They had some bad things showing up on there before, but yeah. Yeah. Well, and Kenny Omega actually was on an episode of Raw. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It was so great. Yeah. I think we should get it on there. At, like, I'll try to get in, and, and every time we might see our faces, we can put Keep the Kayfabe, like our Instagram oh. and uh, Spotify follow on there. Uh, Rating spike. Not, right. So if you follow us on Spotify, please follow us on Instagram. Moving right along, um, the highlight of Clash of Champions, I thought, was uh, Roman Reigns versus Jimmy Uso. Wait, excuse me. It's Jay Uso, right? I, I believe it was Jay. Jay was the one in the main event. Yeah. Gosh, I am With a sucker J-E-Y. for Jay Which, I'm really glad you said that because prior to this match, um, and I only know this because I saw the video package before the match on Clash of Champions, Jay Uso cut a great promo recently where he basically came back at Roman Reigns saying something like, the only thing I ever get asked is, which one are you? And basically saying like, he's going to make a name for himself in this match against Roman Reigns. So great setup right. going into this match. Um, so the match starts out, Jay Uso comes out, he's fired up. You can tell by his mannerisms that he's ready to do whatever it takes to make this a good match. So I was immediately excited to see this. Um, and then you get Roman coming out with no shirt on, which was really strange. Cause I mean, we've always known he's jacked, but I guess this is probably the first time we've seen him shirtless. So and I, and let me interject, yeah, since so, I'm the guy that comments on the guy's bodies all the time, I'm a happily married man uh, to a woman, but I do comment on the dude's look a lot on this show. You might've noticed. I think this is great for Roman Reigns. I mean, he's basically totally like mm-hmm. a ripoff of Jason Moma or Momoa. Is that how you say his name? Momoa? That is correct. Uh, Aquaman? Yeah. Mimosa. Mimosa I'm challenge. Su- I'm surprised Vince didn't pick this up. Like, who's that Aquaman guy? We need to make Roman <laughs> look like Because, like, is he a fish? Like, can we work with that? Like oh we're gonna have like, our first underwater match right oh there we go so yeah I'm getting rid of the bulletproof vest great move Roman is looking jacked he's looking good the the freaking sleeve tat down the back he looks like a yeah. badass it's like, he's like a blend between uh, Jason Moma and like Johnny Depp Jack Sparrow he kind of looks like a pirate rolling Cats. in the one. Tats and teeth, baby. It's all it takes. Next thing you know, yeah. he's the most over guy in the business. Yeah. Sorry, Matt. It had to comment on the body. 
I should no. uh, you know what we should do? I should dub in some saxophone while I describe uh <laughs> the wrestler's body's kind of like Val Venus. You do you do oftentimes get really into it. Mm-hmm. No judgment. Yeah. I mean oh, I yeah. admire it. I admire it. Yeah, totally. I mean, Vince is it's the important. same way. You know, he's married and he's still, look at this guy. He's a, amazing. Look he's at a his glutes. <laughs> Sorry, so, Matt. No, no worries. So so the match starts out. Um, it's a really focused, menacing match is the best way to explain it. Um, there's not a lot of moves in this match. So if you're looking for a spot fest, this definitely is not it. But if you're looking for a match that tells an amazing story, especially by WWE standards. I think that's what really set this match apart from everything else that night. You know, every other week on this podcast, we talk about how great AEW is, how great their storytelling is, how things can have a sense of continuity. I feel like this is the first thing I've seen in WWE in a long time that has a sense of continuity and it's all focused on the storytelling. Um, the match starts out, Roman's getting in some good offense. Uh, Jey Uso comes back, lands a frog splash, looks really good, has a few good spots, but then Roman just dominates. Um, It kind of reminded me in a way of Lesnar's match against Cena from SummerSlam back in like 2014 when he just dominated the match. And I think there might be some parallels there because you also have Paul Heyman now managing Roman Reigns. So I think there's a little bit of crossover, I'm sure. Um, But I think they're doing a really good job of keeping it from being a blatant ripoff of how Lesnar got built up into this monster um, and sort of doing it with Roman in his own way. So, um, so yeah, the match goes on. Basically what happens is Roman ends up just ground pummeling Jey Uso to the point where Jimmy Uso comes walking out and has a towel. He wants to throw in the towel. At this point, I'm having flashbacks to Rocky four, like Roman's going to kill him and Jimmy's going to regret not throwing in the towel. But ultimately Jimmy does throw in the towel uh, ref calls for the bell. Roman is still pummeling Jey Uso and basically has to get pulled off of him. Uh, he's unable to get pulled off of him. Jimmy goes in and covers Jey Uso to protect him. It just, I mean, the levels of storytelling in this match and how they were Plus able they're to... they're all related. They're cousins. Exactly. Did you mention that, Matt? No, I didn't. That's a great point. So all these guys are related. The whole story behind the match is Roman is the tribal chief and he will do whatever it takes to make Jay call him the tribal chief. Um, so you've got Jimmy and Jay Uso, Roman Reigns, the three guys in the tribe sort of fighting for supremacy. And so it, it establishes Roman as just this monster, unconquerable heel who will do whatever it takes to win. Even if it's his own family, it, I think personally, I think Jey Uso got over in this match too, even in defeat. Um, he looked good. He had some good spots. You know, obviously he didn't win and he ended up taking a pretty bad beating. At the same time though, this match wasn't really about him. It was more about Roman, but it puts him in the title picture and at least puts that image in your head that he can compete at that level. So I, all in, I thought it was a great match. Um, definitely different than a lot of other ones on the show, but a great way to end the pay-per-view too. Yeah, the, the 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 most wrong I ever was on the history of this podcast is when I emphatically said that Roman Reigns would never be turned heel, and then weeks later they did it. Not only that, but they've done it super effectively. Like this is what that and with character great needed. Teeth. Yes. Yeah. I yeah. back in so when I got back into wrestling, I want to say like 2014, 2015. You can fact check me on our original podcast. Although we should probably get my mom on the phone. She seems to know more about the dates and details of 
when I really got into wrestling, but that's a story for another day. So back in 2014, 2015, when I first got into WWE again, um, Roman immediately I knew was going to be somebody. Um, he was sort of up and coming at the time. He had just gotten out of the shield, but you could tell he was the guy. And this is before Vince and the machine had started to really push him and force him down our throats. Um, watching this match, I got flashbacks to Roman before his massive push back in 2014, 2015. So for me, this was great to see. It's sort of like the story that I wanted to see back then that I never got to see. And now we're picking it up and starting it here in 2020. Yeah, you only needed to battle cancer and have no fans in the arena for it to happen. Yeah, right. it's unfortunate. Not the recommended it... approach for a push. No. <laughs> Poor Roman. But yeah, he he did a phenomenal job. I love the new look. I love that they kind of, you know, mic'd him up a little bit to tell a little story because now these pay-per-views, they honest, with no fans in there, they kind of seem like movies. And I think they need to play that up a little bit more and utilize the opportunity that they have to make it more like, almost like Lucha Underground, how this did kind of feel like a Lucha Underground match a little bit to me, how they would incorporate script into it. It was, it was very scripted. Um, but the ending did kind of drag on a little too long, like Jay or Jimmy. Jimmy had the towel and was like, I don't know, man. Should I throw it in? This is too hard. I can't figure it out. Paul's over there. No, you are the tribal leader. Like, don't do Like, you know, it was just a little too drawn out. I don't know if they need to fill out, fill in some time. Maybe they were expecting Jeff Hardy to like hurt himself and like that would take up the chunk of time in the beginning of the show, like 20 extra minutes that they need to fill to get a stretcher out there for them. Thank God they didn't have to do that. But um, yeah, I mean, I was, I was, I was paying attention and lots of times at the dub, the end of WWE pay-per-views, I lose focus and I'm kind of checked out. This did not happen. So, so yeah. here, here's something to ponder. So he's the tribal chief, right? Mm-hmm. Who else in the family could lay claim to that? As we work our way towards WrestleMania. You already know where they're going with this. Yeah. So so there's already been rumors circulating that The Rock and Roman need to have a match. It makes too much sense. It does. So I think if that's really the main event at WrestleMania they want to go with, I think this is a great first step to get there. It starts to build Roman up as this massive heel who will do anything to be on top, even if it means, you know, separating himself from his family. But one of the things, if you guys watch this match carefully, not even carefully, it was very obvious, but if you watch this match, you notice that Roman and Jay are constantly arguing about who's the tribal chief. And Roman says, I'm two levels above you. And, you know, kind of putting himself in this stratosphere that nobody else is even in. But The Rock obviously is at that level, if not even above Roman in that regard. So... Yeah, I think if that's the direction they're going to go, this is a great first step towards it. Maybe that's maybe The Rock is actually faking COVID so he doesn't have to read any more scripts and just start getting his wrestling chops back together in his in-home ring. He's going well, underground. Sure, they sure as hell better have crowds or that rest. I mean, they you know if, if if we're not back to full strength by WrestleMania, I don't think they'd want to waste that one on a you know a sub. <laughs> like a 50 percent capacity crowd very good point 
Speaking of great points, is AEW bringing <laughs> back its leader and fearless leader at that, Cody Rhodes, making a point to come back after Brody Lee and Orange Cassidy match on the latest episode of AEW uh, Dynamite. And his hair was no longer blonde, but he made a point to have a matching hair color to kind of go a little bit better with his neck tattoo. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you guys, are you guys feeling, I think Halloween's coming a little bit early. He kind of reminds me of um, Gomez Adams Did and you... uh, the vampire uh, three piece suit that he chose to wear to make his debut back. Did you guys notice that he used uh, the finishing maneuver of Greg, the hammer Valentine on that, uh, on that lackey of the um, dark order? No, I did not. He did so make I'm, a point you know, to do that. Yes. I'm wondering if Greg Valentine is going to be his new manager. Steve, could you share oh. what Greg's finisher is just for the fans who aren't as familiar with Greg? Well, it's the figure four leg lock. And uh, if, I, if memory serves, he had a stretch of time where he also had like a shin brace that he would conveniently rotate as he put the figure four on to, to apply more leverage. Mm-hmm. But uh, Cody didn't go the leg brace route, but... Uh, no, I think, yeah, I, I mean, seriously, I think that was, you know, that was probably a good time for Cody to be away, and now he's got the new look, and I still wonder if, like, the figure four meant something, like, is this more of that, like, he's going to bring bring back the horseman? Um, Old school. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's good to see Cody back. Um, WWE had a great pay-per-view. I think AEW Dynamite is – it's great every week. So I think sometimes we take it a little bit for granted at this point, just because you get so used to it being so good. But I think this spot with Cody in particular was great. Um, he comes out the, the black jet black hair. Awesome. That's how I remember Cody, at least um, back when he was just leaving WWE, started getting into new Japan, doing some stuff over there. Um, so it's kind of cool to see that part. <laughs> Stardust, gosh, that's that's a podcast all in itself. Um, but it was cool seeing Cody back, um, especially with the the dark hair. Um, I think I think it's a really good idea just to kind of help reflect some of the heelish tendencies he's starting to show too. Like if we're going to start to see this new side of Cody more and more, you you got to have that slight physical distinction, kind of like we talked about how Roman doesn't wear the flak jacket anymore. Mm-hmm. Same deal with Cody having the dark hair. Right. And you remember who else dyed his hair bl- uh, black after it was blonde and he was the face of the company? Sting. <laughs> I just really wanted to, you know, who actually did dye their hair for a period of time? <laughs> Greg the Hammer Valentine. Do you guys he remember did? that? No. Yeah. So in his later years with the WWE, they, um, they tried to, they paired him with um, Honky Tonk Man as Rhythm and Blues. Oh my God! Yeah, so it's really. I mean, <laughs> I could that you couldn't have set that up better for another Amber reference. So we're definitely gonna have to get our uh, social media uh, person on that to post the new episode. A picture. We got to find a picture of that. And uh, yeah, I'll tell Sylvan to work on that, and the, and you guys can expect to see good uh, posts. Thank you. Well, I'm happy to see Cody back, and he is, like you said, getting a little more uh, dangerous, a little more dark. I mean, yep. the young bucks, everybody in the lead is kind of getting a little getting more edgy. dark. 
I feel like we're going to see kind of like an Avengers uh, endgame war between a lot of these factions. I mean, can you see like a Four Horsemen? Can you see a Dark Order? Can you see a, a you know, a Dark Elite? And yeah. then who do you think's going to be the saving grace in all this? Could it be MJF and Chris Jericho? Because those two had an interaction on AEW again, again that was just so funny. Like the two guys are the best in the business when it comes to being on the mic and cutting promos. And it is just too entertaining. I love that MJF it, like constantly calls everybody by their full name. Like Jonathan Mock, like for John Moxley, Jonathan, don't be an idiot. Or like Christopher, like he's just so damn good. I love it. And Jericho is probably just loving uh, working with a young chip off the old block. If you ask me, um, but given this um, interaction, if you didn't see AEW Dynamite, they basically were kind of one up in each other, but also showing respect to one another, which leads us back to old episodes where we're saying, is MJF going to be a lone wolf or is he going to join somebody? Could Chris Jericho exit the inner circle and go with MJF because they're losers because he found a better partner with MJF? I don't know. What's the potential of this? Why why are we seeing all this great interaction? I'm here to see it for sure, but why are we seeing it? What's going to happen here, boys? So if I were to fantasy book this just a little bit, you know, you mentioned something really interesting about, you know, he's looking for a new faction. We know MJF's looking for a new faction. Chris Jericho hasn't really seen much value out of the rest of the inner circle. So I feel like this could go one of two ways. The way... And I'll tell you the way that I would like to see it go is MJF joins the inner circle and it sort of dissolves because of MJF. But while that happens, it elevates MJF to a whole nother level. How that happens, I'm not really sure, but I think that would be a really interesting way to book it that a lot of people probably wouldn't see coming. And the reason I think that might be a pretty awesome idea is because again talking a little bit about the rock if you think back to the late 90s the rock when he first turned heel was part of the nation of domination and that's sort of where he got his big push where he was part of this faction but you could tell right away he was the standout guy in the faction and because of his heelishness as we like to say on keep the kayfabe he eventually ended up causing that entire faction to dissolve. And at the same time, it elevated him to another level. So I could see the same thing happening with MJF, but that's my fantasy booking scenario. Steve. Yeah, I don't I mean, I, I, I think I was speculating a little bit last week even, but I feel like in some way, shape or form, there's going to be good guy, all, uh, um, elite and bad guy elite. And I think uh, Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks and maybe some fourth member are going to be the bad guys. I think Cody's going to stay good because I'm going to still double down. Even though I was wrong about Roman Reigns, I'm still going to say that I don't think Cody Rhodes anytime soon is going to be a a heel. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think maybe Cody, Hangman, somebody else become like the good guys. Maybe they take out the Dark Order first, but... um, I think that's where those guys go. I don't know about MGF. There's part of me that thinks maybe maybe he'll form his own group with people we haven't even seen yet. Or uh, I don't know. Yeah, to take down the evil, you got to get a little more darker. Dark, you gotta yeah. Got to elevate, think... elevate a little bit more. Kenny yeah. Omega. 
maybe honestly it could be Cody Rhodes, Young Bucks, and Kenny Omega all doing um like an alliance together as they are, but then they all double cross each other at the end. Uh <laughs> who's the darkest out of those dark baby faces that they could be pushing towards? We could see multiple swerves, is all I'm saying. You know, one thing I, I do want to see, like if um and this is no offense to the people I'm about to mention, but I hope that um you know, Cody's got this dark hair and he's got this edge to him. I don't want to see him come out this week or any week soon with Brandy and his brother and QT Marshall. It's like, he's got to keep that edge. And, you know, Brandy's too smiley. Like, that doesn't work. And That's not going to work for Matt Michelson, no, it, though. It, 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 nope. What? Nope, not one bit. Not at all. Okay. No. That's his girl. Uh, well, th- that's not a knock on her. <laughs> I know. She's just not edgy. Right. Well, she she lost on uh, last week. The, oh, by the way, this is. I mean, we don't have to go on a tangent here. But did you guys watch that one hour? Um, they had the special dynamite that was at like the one hour show on Tuesday night after the mm-hmm. NBA. It was on late. They yeah. had some really good matches on that show, and it actually did really well. Like considering, I don't know what the actual hour it ran, but it was late. They had like five hundred or six hundred some thousand people watch it, um, mm-hmm. which bodes really well for AEW. Big time. Uh, was it who was that guy? Ben Carter. Ben Carson. Like, yeah, we yeah Ben Carson or Car- Carter. No, Ben Carson was the was the politician, wasn't he? Um, I don't remember Ben something, but yeah, and he got COVID too. Shit. But that match. So you guys were talking that up for those that don't know what we're talking about. It was uh, Scorpio Sky and Ben mm-hmm. Seward, whatever it was. Carson Carter. I, I think um, it was Ben Carter. Ben Carter. And I remember you guys saying like, this guy is legit. And I finally watched it a couple days ago and that is not underselling it. That guy was amazing. Um, and British and British. They, we need that. We need more European global. We got to break down these borders. COVID is really uh, limiting AEW's growth too. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we haven't seen Pac and others. Mm-hmm. And Lucha Bros are coming back in now. So it's getting solid. You know what was slightly solid? Miro's debut. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's giving it too much credit, but go on. Slightly solid is how I described uh, my bowel movement on Sunday morning (laughs) after a long night of drinking. Yeah, this was, uh, yeah, slightly solid is a great way to put it. That's about all I got to say about that. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what was going on there. but mom's going to love to hear that. (laughs) <laughs> hopefully she doesn't make it this far into the series <laughs> I'm, I'm generally okay with what they're going and i think one day it'll re- result in a nice uh like somebody betraying somebody but yeah that match i don't know that match was not a good debut plus i think he hurt himself mildly and it just did not showcase miro in a way that was befitting the guy that i think we've all come to know like and i think um I don't know. I'm coming to the conclusion that I'm just never going to like uh, Joey Janela. I just, I don't know. He did not have a good night. Yeah, I I agree. And I, this, I've heard this elsewhere about Joey Janela too. Um, the one Joey Janela match that does stick out to me was the unsanctioned match he had against John Moxley. Um, I want to say it was almost a year ago now, right when Dynamite first started. It was started. the first, first like match like headline for Johnny Moxley. Yeah. Right, first match for Johnny Moxley. 
It was. And that, and I didn't know who Joey Janela was at the time. So that kind of opened my eyes to him. And immediately I was like, Oh, cool. This guy's loves to fight in hardcore matches. Sweet. I, that's and that style. I, I like that kind of style. So to me, I immediately was kind of drawn to Joey Janela, but after seeing some of his other matches where they're just more straight wrestling matches, I'm, I'm not really a huge fan of them. And it's not that his work is terrible. It's just, it, there's nothing about it that really grabs my attention or makes me want to see what happens next. And I think that was the issue we saw with Miro this week too. Yeah. I just think, yeah. And I, you know, Sunny Kiss is really solid. And I think Sunny's match with uh, Cody was incredible. So the talent's there, but again, not a great showing there. I think, and that team can be fun, even though I'm not crazy about Joey Danella. It's um, a weird kind of odd couple that works. But uh, yeah, just, I don't know. I think they would have been much better off with Miro doing like a squash match or, or have, have him just kind of above the match and he doesn't tag in for the longest time. And then at the end just annihilates them. But to have that match go on as long as it did where he's getting knocked around and uh, I mean, it wasn't his fault. He got hurt, but it's just, um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't think it, I don't think it helped him in any way, shape or form. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, you know, after watching it, I feel like AEW has done such a good job up to this point as far as I feel like anybody they pair up against each other just knocks it out of the park, regardless of style, level of chemistry, whatever. They find a way to make it work. And I think this match was one of the exceptions where that just, for whatever reason, didn't really happen in the ring. At the same time, to your point, Steve, I think they could have booked it a little bit differently where it would have really helped Miro's character and still gotten the match over. Um, So, you know, it, it's unfortunate it went down the way it did. I'm still willing to give him a little bit of a chance based on his past. And oh, sure. You know, AEW, I think, has bought enough credit with the fans where, I, you know, I'm willing to look past this if the next match is good. Yeah, not every single thing they put on TV is going to be a knock it out of the park. Right. That's why I thought this was very interesting when they debuted Miro over in AEW and announced that he would be there. Because, I mean... Who honestly was genuinely really excited about Rusev in WWE? He had the good thing going with uh, Rusev Day, but even that was just a flash in the pan. I mean, he had a great entrance on like the Sherman Tank at WrestleMania against John Cena, but overall, his career in WWE would be pretty much underwhelming. He was at first Russian, then they changed him Bulgarian. Now he's going, then they fired him. They, they split him up with his wife. I mean, it seems like uh, Miro Rusev, he's just kind of been a bastard of wrestling. Nobody really wants him. And I was really excited to see what they would do with him. But I seriously just don't think anybody really knows what to do with him. I mean, he's interesting in, as hell on Instagram. A lot of people think he is. I, I do follow him and I think he's interesting, but I, I, I just don't get excited to see him wrestle. Kind of like uh, Drew McIntyre. Kind of like Randy Orton. He's got to do something. I just don't know what it is, and I don't think a lot of the writers know what it is. So that's why I was like, okay, is AEW his revival? Is AEW gonna write him into what he truly deserves, or does he deserve to be even great? I don't know. It's still to be uh, determined, in my opinion. 
I, I think what you just described is kind of an issue that AEW needs to deal with, not just with Miro, but with a lot of their wrestlers, because mm-hmm. a lot of their wrestlers are really big on social media. And AEW admittedly is more of a, a promotion that appeals to more of the hardcore fans. So you're going to have people who follow Miro on Twitch, Instagram, different social media mm-hmm. platforms. So he's over with that group of fans, right? Mm-hmm. But if you want to expand your base of fans overall and start getting more right. casual viewers to start watching AEW, you know, he has to deliver on the show itself. And if that doesn't happen, you know, at least three out of four times, you know, over the next few weeks, as we see him start to compete more and more, you know, I, I don't know that any amount of social media presence is really going to help him out. Um, you know, hopefully it does. And it gets him to a point where he gets a chance to have a really good match and kind of show us who his new character is. So, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I think, I think it's more of an issue though. And it's not just with Miro, it's with other wrestlers as well, where, you know, they're, they're what, what culture wrestling likes to call squared circle over where it's this really small group of fans that are really into the business. But, you know, again, if you really want them to be over, over, it has to happen on the show. Big time. You know, who was really over, over the road warriors, uh, the wrestling business really lost a good one. Uh, a revolutionary tag team, the Road Warriors and Legion of Doom, Hawk and Animal. We just lost Animal. Uh, I think it was a week ago or so uh, since we're recording this tonight. Joseph Michael Laronitis passed away. Uh, Adam, his um, partner Hawk passed away probably about 10 years ago. At least. A heart attack. And um, yeah, so that was one of the most revolutionary tag teams that's no longer with us. Um, so we're just going to send out our condolences to his family and, uh, talk about just how amazing that tag team was. Those guys were absolute destroyers in the ring globally, uh, loved and renowned, had such a unique look. Um, animal for one is the one that came up with the spike shoulder pads, probably the most notable accessory. If there was to be an accessory, in wrestling to go at the top of a list, it has to be the shoulder spike shoulder or the shoulder pads with spikes on it. The dude constructed them in his garage and me being a person that, um, you know, invest time into things that might not be a good idea, (laughs) but then work. (laughs) Uh, this is something that, um, I mean, when you see the spike shoulder pads, you're thinking road warriors. The dudes were just so ahead of their time. So fresh can never be imitated. We'll never see anything like them again. The dudes were absolute killers in the ring, out of the ring, partied their balls off. um, And just gave something to wrestling that needed to be. They were so artistic. Everything was just so creative about them when it came to the face paint, um, writing it down on motorcycles just so much that they gave to wrestling the road warriors and if you haven't seen their dark side of the ring episode please go back and watch that one because you'll get a whole new appreciation for those two wow it's hard to top that i think you said it all um yeah no i grew up you know i'm older than you guys i i watched the awa in the 80s um 
and I watched w, NWA, WCW, WWE, and they went to all of those. And I mean, pretty much until almost the very end, they were just, they were like top stars as a tag team, which not too many tag teams can claim where they could main event events around the world and they could be the featured draw. Um, I mean, obviously they didn't, they didn't sell a whole lot, but they didn't, I guess they didn't need to cause they were the road warriors and uh, that's, that contributed to their larger than life persona. Um, right. Yeah. I actually met them uh, indirectly. I don't know if I've told really? this story, but no. uh, I couldn't even tell you the era other than I was preteen and it was, um, at a restaurant uh, by the Milwaukee airport and um, they were sitting with precious Paul Ellering having breakfast and my family was there and my brother dared to go up and ask for an autograph to which they said very coarsely, we're eating and they dissed him. <laughs> and, oh. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> and that stuck with me, that actually stuck with me a really long time. I mean, I, in some ways I don't blame them. They're just sitting there trying to have a quiet meal, but at the same time, they, you know, probably could have been a little nicer to some little kid that went up to them. But uh, yeah, that was like, I saw them. And uh, despite that, I still, uh, <laughs> I still was entertained by them for many, many years. I always liked precious Paul too. And I mean, he's the only one left now. It's gotta be hard on him. Yeah, this uh, one of my favorite tag teams when I was really young was Demolition, Axe and Smash. And yep. part of the reason for that, I'm certain, was because of the outfits. They were one of the first tag teams, at least I can remember, having some sort of spikes on their outfits. And then I remember seeing the Road Warriors. And Mike, you were talking earlier about the spiked shoulder pads. That immediately did it for me. I couldn't tell you one match they ever had, but they were just the coolest looking tag team there was. Right. And I think that's really what ended up getting them over more than anything. And in the 80s, you know, the work rate wasn't what it is today. So you didn't really need to sell a lot, like Steve was saying. Um, yeah. To get over well, with they, the audience. So They weren't like signed to just one promotion either. They were like a traveling show. It's like, we want you guys to come wrestle our guys and just dominate and win and be killers. Like they were like almost like a circus act, but they were, I mean, they were so big. They were. And I, I unfortunately was never able to get a chance to see them when I was younger, but after hearing Steve's story, maybe that's not the worst thing ever because no. realizing how much they keep the kayfabe, um, they might not have been the nicest people to children or fans or whatnot. Um, it, this day and age, like if it was 2020 and they were still around, maybe, but I, yeah, it could have permanently tainted my love of wrestling as a youth. So yeah. Yeah. Well, Animal, Hawk. Gone too soon. Thanks for uh, all that you did for the wrestling culture. And uh, the people who love wrestling, you're going to be missed. And uh, you'll go down as one of the greatest tag teams of all time, if not the greatest tag team of all time. And, I, so, and I, th I think we have to sum that up with, oh, what a rush. Very nice. Awesome, boys. Well, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to another episode of Keep the Kayfabe. Congratulations to the Tampa Bay Lightning for winning the Stanley Cup tonight. Um, your boys down a thousand bucks. Well, I would have won a thousand bucks if Dallas would have won. So a thousand clams. No, uh, not coming my way. No biggie. But I did see Tampa Bay win or no play a game this year in Tampa. So that's the first time I actually saw cool. an NHL team 
like play in person this year and then they go on to win the Stanley Cup, which was very cool. So that's nice. off to Tampa Bay. And uh, boys, I hope you have a great rest of your week. I look forward to the next episode. Please remember to subscribe to us on Spotify and follow us for future episodes. And also follow us on Instagram at Keep the Cave Babe. Peace. Too sweet. <laughs> <laughs>